All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. Happy Sabbath. It's nice to be in a, uh, in a beautiful part of the world where we can drive to church and we can see the sunshine and we don't have to worry about, at least not about right now, about uh, possibly being martyred because we believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, last Sabbath I was here and I shared some thoughts about July 4 and about America and about the freedoms that we enjoy. And I was thinking this week, since I knew that I was going to be speaking again today, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to talk about when I go back to Spirit Lake? And I've been reading about the history of the persecutions and what has happened in the past to believers in Jesus who have decided to follow the Bible above the traditions of men. And as I was taking my walk, the thought just came to me, talk about the book of blood, the book of blood. So I thought, that sounds like a very intriguing title. So I said, okay, uh, Lord, that's what I'll do. I'll share some of the history. I'll make it short. There's a lot of history behind what I'm going to share with you. But we're going to talk about the blood that has been shed in history. The blood of believers who chose to stand for Jesus no matter what. And we're going to talk about the Bible, how this book is more valuable than we realize. This book has come down to us at the cost of blood. And then I want to focus on Jesus himself, who's the center of the Bible and how he shed his blood for us. So why don't we pray another prayer? We've had some technological issues. I had some yesterday. We've had some this morning. I'm sure that there are forces of darkness that do not want this talk to be given. So let's pray that God will bless us, bless you, bless me, and that he'll inspire us all. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Father, thank you so much for a beautiful day. Thank you that we can come here and worship in freedom. Thank you that we don't have uh, armies that are chasing us and uh, different people that are trying to kill us, at least not right now. And we pray for your blessing. Bless the recording. Bless those that are watching this online and those who will be watching in the days ahead. May we all be impressed and inspired to stand for Jesus and to follow the Bible no matter what it costs. Please send your Holy Spirit here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, we read for scripture reading, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I'd like to put part of that verse again up on the screen and just... Draw your attention to it. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. John was looking into the future. He had a vision. He actually saw what would be happening down at the very end of time. And verse 4 says, John says, I saw thrones and they sat upon them. So here are people that are now sitting on thrones. And it says, judgment was given to them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. 
two things. They lost their lives because they stood for Jesus and also for what else? It says for the word of God, which is the Bible. They stood up for the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or upon their hands, and they lived. Now they are resurrected. They live. First they died, but now they live. And they are reigning with Christ for a thousand years. So they went from the, from the guillotine to the throne. And if you look at Christian history for the last 2,000 years, it is, a, it is a fact that there have been hundreds and thousands and even millions of people that have been beheaded, who have been burned, who have been butchered, who have been tortured, who have lost their lives because they stood up for Jesus and for the Bible. And at the very end, God's going to reverse the situation. And those who were martyred and killed are going to be sitting upon thrones. Isn't that powerful? Thrones with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, here's a picture of a building. Come on, clicker work. There we go. Uh, which I actually had the privilege of walking inside of a number of years ago. I was, uh, had, a, had a meeting in Russia, and on the way back, I had the privilege of spending a little time in Europe, so I wanted to see some of the sites, and I traveled around, and I was in Rome, and I went to the Roman Colosseum. That, this building is there today. You can go there, and when you walk around, when I walked around inside that building, I was just uh, imagining what it was like hundreds of years ago when inside that same structure, when it was up and running, uh, there were Christians inside of that building. Christians who were, had become the entertainment of the Roman Empire. You know, we have a lot of uh, ways to, to find entertainment today, but it's hard to imagine that, you know, back in the first century, second century, third century, that the Romans found entertainment watching the Christians get torn apart by wild animals, by lions and dogs, and uh, they were burnt sometimes right inside the Colosseum. Can you imagine? And the, and the people in the crowds, you know, they cheered. They thought, wow, this is great. You know, this is, uh, this is uh, our entertainment. And the Christians were willing to do it. They were willing to suffer. They were willing to die. They were willing to be eaten by wild animals because they loved Jesus and they loved the Bible. They loved the word of God that was so powerful in their lives that nothing could stop them. Nothing would turn them away from their decision to follow Jesus. Now, when the Roman Empire eventually got weaker and it eventually collapsed, and I think one of the reasons why the empire collapsed was because it had persecuted the children of God, the children of Jesus. And so it was invaded by all these different tribal groups and the empire got weaker and weaker, and finally it collapsed. It fell apart. But in the midst of that collapse, there was a church that was in Rome, in the city of Rome, that was rising into power that strayed away from the simple truths of the Bible and the simple truths of faith in Jesus. And that church eventually uh, became the Roman Catholic Church. 
And what happened, shockingly, in history was that the persecution continued. First it was persecution from the, the Roman Empire, and then it was persecution from the Roman Catholic religion that had its authority centered in the Pope. And there were a lot of Christians back then that said, we follow the Bible. We follow the Word of God. We're not going to follow the Pope above Scripture. We believe God speaks through this book, not through a man who is sitting in Rome. Here's a, another picture. I don't know why this clicker is uh, kind of delaying. I mean, there we go. Uh, this is a picture north of Rome in a, in a place uh, in Italy, Torre Pellice. And this is where the, a group called the Waldensians made their home. And this is a monument that you can go to today. I actually, when I traveled around, I went to Torre Pellice. I went up into the northern parts of Italy. I wanted to see where the Waldensians lived. And so I saw some of their uh, ancient monuments. And I saw this one. You can see this monument there. It's there today. You can go see it. And right in the middle of it is a Bible. And here, this is a group of people, thousands of them, that suffered because they followed Jesus and the Word of God. This is actually a, a picture from going into a cave. Uh, and I actually had the privilege of, privilege of going inside that cave. I don't have a picture of uh, that I took, but this is a picture that somebody else took. And you can go and you can see that cave today. You can go right in there. And history tells us that there were times when uh, Roman Catholic armies would chase the Waldensians up into the mountains, deeper and deeper. And one time, a whole group of them were hiding in the back of this cave, and they went in with, uh, with, with caves and then torches, and they set fire so that nobody could get out. And the people that were on the inside, they all died. They were all uh, brutally murdered for their faith in Jesus and the Word of God, for the Bible. Here is a picture of a statue. Come on, clicker, click. There we go. This is a picture of a statue where you can go and you can see this today. Uh, they call it the John Huss Monument. It's in the city of Prague, which used to be the center of Bohemia. Now it's the uh, Czech Republic. And this is a statue of John Huss, or Jean Huss. And there's a picture next to that of a uh, front, front of a movie. And they've made a number of movies about John Huss. You can actually go to YouTube with all the technology we have these days and you could just type in movie of John Huss and you can find and you can watch the movie and you can get a sense of what happened in the past and some of the history behind what happened to this man. John Huss lived in the 1300s and the early 1400s. Uh, he was born, they say, right around 1380. He went to school, he was a poor man, went to school at the University of Prague, graduated, and then as he began to study the Bible and he began to teach, uh, he was such a, a remarkable man that they actually made him a professor at the same university that he graduated from. And as he began to teach, uh, he began to get a hold of the writings of a man by the name of John Wycliffe. 
uh, Wycliffe was from England. And in the 1300s, Wycliffe was the first person ever to translate the Bible into English. The Waldensians had Bibles, but they were in Latin. There weren't very many copies of the Bible. The uh, Waldensian Bible was called the Itala, or Italia. But the, uh, the, Bo the Bohemian people and Huss and others began to get a hold of, for the first time, copies of Bibles that had been translated into English. And this was the first time that this had ever, had, had ever happened. Wycliffe was the first one to do it in England. And those Bibles began to trick, uh, trickle in to Bohemia. And one day, uh, John, John Huss got a hold of a Bible. And he began to read it. And he began to read the writings of Wycliffe. And he realized, he went through quite a struggle, but he realized that the word of God is more powerful than the traditions of men. That people have lost their lives for the word of God. They've lost their lives for following Jesus. And uh, Huss just decided, Lord, I'm going to do it. No matter what happens to me, I'm going to stick with your word and I'm going to teach it. So he began to teach at the University of Prague, and he became known all over Europe. Uh, he became a very well-known, he actually became a, he was a priest, and then he became a pastor, and he, he, he was a pastor of a, of a chapel. And he continued to teach and preach, but word got to Rome about this man, and uh, they weren't happy that here was a man that was not believing in the authority of the Pope, he was believing in the authority of the Bible of the word of God above the traditions of men. And so eventually the uh, persecution came down on him and he was summoned to appear at a council called the Council of Constance, which took place in Germany uh, from 14, or, yeah, 1414 to 1418. And so Huss was summoned to the council. He was promised by the emperor to get safe conduct that he wouldn't be harmed. But when he got to this council in Germany, he got to the city of Constance, uh, it wasn't long until word, word got out, Huss is in the city. And what happened was the emperor's safe conduct was not, uh, was not honored, and in a very short time, he was arrested. And he was put into a dark dungeon, and this is a picture of the exact place where John Huss was put in prison in December of 1414, Constance, Germany. I have a friend named uh, Dr. Fleck, maybe some of you know him, and he just sent me these pictures. He said, Steve, I went to Germany. I was uh, in that very city, and he was on a Reformation tour, and he took a picture of the very building where Huss was in prison, and if you can see that, that circular little section there, uh, that actually, this is now actually a hotel. They've made it into a hotel, but it used to be a monastery. And that circular part of the hotel that you see right there, that is exactly where John Huss was put into prison in that very place. And Dr. Fleck sent me some more pictures like this one. When you go inside that hotel and you walk uh, into a kitchen, right next to it is where Huss was, uh, was in prison. 
right above the door where you go into the kitchen, you'll see this, this fresco today. It's, a, it's, it's like a little painting. And you'll see a painting there of Huss, right there, 1414. It's a, a big part of history. And there he is with a, a chain around his foot. And he's inside a dark, dark cell. And why was he there? Why was he imprisoned? Why did he spend so many uh, days and weeks in this dark place? Well, the reason is because of Jesus and because of the word of God. That's why. He was willing to suffer, just like the people in Revelation 20, verse 4. Willing to suffer for Christ and for his book, the book of books. Well, he was transferred to a number of different places. Oh, actually, let me show you. I forgot. I got another picture here of the very cell. This is, if you go through that door into the kitchen and then you go into another room, there it is. And Dr. Fleck took that picture when he was there a few years ago. That is the actual room where John Huss sat in his dark cell. And now they've turned it into, a, into a, wine, a wine room. It's like a wine cellar. It's got all these bottles of wine. But that's where, that's where Huss was, right inside that room. Isn't that amazing? You can go right to that room today if you want. And you can see it. This is a picture from one of the movies. After being transferred from place to place, he was finally brought before the Council of Constance to answer for his faith. And there is a, just a description or a picture there of John Huss. And this was the last day before the Council of Constance, July 6, 1415. So same month that we're in, go back, you know, hundreds of years ago, you can go to July 6, and that's where he was. And he came out and he was brought before a vast assembly of priests and cardinals and leaders of the empire and all kinds of uh, political people. And here comes this poor man who had been in cha chained to a cell and now he's there to answer for his faith. I don't know how many of you have ever read this book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. This is an amazing book. I don't recommend that you read this book unless you have a very strong stomach because this book is pretty gory. And it's got all kinds of uh, accounts of people that have suffered for Jesus and for the Bible. It has a whole section on the Walden Seas, and it has a whole section here on the martyrdom of John Huss. It says he was brought before the council, and articles were read against him. There were 40 articles that were extracted mostly from his writings. And uh, his interrogator said, are you willing to give up these writings? Are you willing to give up your belief in the Bible, in the word of God ab above the Pope? They said the Pope is God's representative. And you're, you're, you're a, a heretic. You're doing wrong. You're going against the church. You're, growing, you're going against God. You're going against his leader, which is the Pope. And Huss was calm, he stood firm, and he said, I, I cannot 
go against these writings because these writings are based on the Bible. Based on the Bible. And then in the midst of all these leaders of, uh, of Germany and of Europe, he said, I appeal to the highest judge of all. There he was in chains. And I'm appealing to someone higher than you. The highest judge of all, who is Jesus Christ. Who is then a higher judge than Christ? He declared. And when he pronounced those words, he was derided and he was mocked by the whole council. Here's all these people laughing at him, sneering at him, mocking at him, making fun of him because he was willing to stand for Jesus and for the word of God. And that amazing, it just reminds me of what happened to Christ. Here Jesus was surrounded by the leaders of the Sanhedrin, surrounded by uh, King Herod and his warriors, and then Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers, and this huge crowd of people, and they mocked him, they laughed at him, they spit on him, they whipped him, they beat him, they made fun of him, and there Jesus stood in the midst of all of this, calm, trusting, his heavenly father, that one day circumstances would change. One day he would sit upon the throne. And this is something similar that happened to, uh, to John Huss. Then it says that in Fox's Book of Martyrs, this is page 143 of this particular uh, edition that I've got, it says they, the council condemned him and they stripped him of his priestly garments and they degraded him and they put a paper miter upon his head. They put this uh, hat on him and on the hat was painted pictures of devils and demons. And there was an inscription on the, on the hat that said, this is an arch heretic. This is a ringleader of heretics. But when he looked at that hat and knew what was happening, he prayed a prayer and he said, my Lord Jesus Christ, for my sake, you wore a crown of thorns. Why should I then, for your sake, why should not I then, for your sake, again, wear this crown, no matter how wicked it looks? And he said, truly, I will do it and I will do it willingly. I'm going to do it for you, Lord. You went through so much for me. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do this for you. When it was set upon his head, the bishop said, he looked at him and he said, now we commit your soul to the devil. So, you know, he's got this hat on with all these demons and they were expecting that when he dies, he's going straight to hell and he's going to be with all the devils. Now we commit your soul to the devil. And then uh, Huss said, but I, said Huss, lifting up his eyes toward heaven. He said, I do commit into your hands, O Lord Jesus Christ, my spirit, which you have redeemed. And then they took him out to the place of execution. It was quite a crowd that went out to that place. 
And there's a, one little picture from the movie, and then there's another picture showing the fire beginning to grow. They took him out to a spot. There was quite a crowd surrounding this spot. And uh, history tells us that somebody wrote that John Huss looked like he was going to a wedding. I mean, he was, he was dignified, he was calm, he had accepted his fate, he was at peace, and no matter what was going on around him, he knew he was getting closer and closer to the moment that he would sacrifice his life for his Lord. And he felt that this was an awesome privilege. This was an incredible privilege. And so they tied him up and they put all this wood around him, all this wood, and then the executioner came up with a torch and he lit the wood. And the, and the flames began to rise all around this man. And as they got higher and higher, you know what he did? He didn't scream. He didn't cry. He didn't complain. He began to sing. He began to sing about Jesus. And his voice was very strong, very loud, very powerful. And everybody could hear the, the, this man surrounded by fire singing a song, singing a hymn about Jesus. You know, I just wonder if whatever happens in the days ahead, who knows what's going to happen in the final days when persecution is relit and the storm really hits us. And once again, uh, we are under pressure as followers of Jesus and followers of the Bible. You know, what will we do? I've thought about that many times and I've thought, Lord, if that ever happens to me for being a preacher and for teaching truth, which uh, Whitehorse Media is doing the best we can online these days, we're doing all kinds of programs, even in this corona crisis, we're putting out programs about the Bible, about Jesus, about history, about prophecy, about the end times, and let's say they come after me one of these days, or if they come after you, you know, would we, uh, are we willing to say, Lord, I appeal to you as the highest judge of all. I'm in, I'm in your hands. I commit my spirit to you. And no matter what happens, even if we have to die, are we willing to, to sing, to sing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of our final, our final hour? So the flames continue to rise, and eventually he died. He gave his life on July 6, 1415, one of the many martyrs who have sacrificed everything for Jesus. And I have no doubt that one of these days, John Huss will be sitting upon a throne. Just like it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Uh, brothers and sisters, the Bible is a book of blood. It's a book that millions down throughout history have been willing to give their lives for. They were willing to give everything. They were willing to be tortured, beheaded, burned, strangled, tormented, uh, all kinds of things. 
that we can't even imagine happened to people just like you and just like me who were willing to give their lives for Jesus and for his word. Revelation 20 verse 4 says they died for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. I was talking to my wife recently and, and she was just saying how appalling it is that in many schools these days uh, they don't teach history anymore. You know, our kids are going to school and they don't understand, they don't understand what has gone on before us. They don't understand. Very few have ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs. They don't know what has happened in Europe and in England and in colonial America. They don't know about how this country uh, has become a great country and how one of, the, one of the big blessings of this country is that this is a land of the free and the home of the brave where the persecution that happened in Europe and in England uh, hasn't happened here, at least not like it has in the past. We've made a lot of mistakes as a country and there's been a lot of wrongs that have been done, but nothing like what has happened in Europe and happened to the Protestants and to the reformers who were willing to give everything for Jesus. Ever since sin first entered this world, all the way back in the days of Adam and Eve, lambs have been sacrificed one by one, animal by animal, sacrifice by sacrifice. Uh, it would be a horrible thing, you know, if, uh, if I had a little pet, a little lamb, and I had to sacrifice it. You know, those of you that are attached to your pets, can you imagine sacrificing your animal? But animals were sacrificed. They were sacrificed for a long, long time. For thousands of years, animals were sacrificed. The heart of the, of the Passover in the book of Exodus, in chapter 12, is where the blood of lambs was placed on the doors of the Israelites so that they would be protected when the angel of death passed over. It was the blood of lambs that protected the people, the firstborn, from losing their lives by the angel of death. And if you go down, we know that all of those lambs and all of that blood ultimately pointed forward to who? That's right, it pointed, all those sacrifices pointed forward to Jesus, pointed forward to the final day. You've, you've probably heard the song, the Via Dolorosa. You know that song? And it talks about the blood that would cleanse the souls of all men made its way through the heart of Jerusalem. Down the Via Dolorosa, down the way of suffering, all the way, all the way to the cross. A huge crowd surrounded Jesus as he made his way, as he had been uh, condemned by the Sanhedrin before Herod, before Pontius Pilate, and how he had been whipped and beaten, and then a cross was put upon his his back and he carried that cross through the streets of Jerusalem out to a hill and there you can see a little bit of that picture there's a crown of thorns there's a Roman mallet 
and there's a nail with, with blood on it. Um, this next picture is rather gruesome, and I think a lot of times we sanitize what really happened to Jesus on the cross. You know, we make it look so kind of clean and, and neat and uh, politically correct. But the reality was, it was a bloody scene. Jesus was bleeding all over. He had been beaten and whipped, thorns on his head. And that precious blood, which is the life of the soul, the life of humanity, dripped out of him. And why did he do that? Why was God's own son willing to come down and to endure such suffering? He did that for you. And he did that for me. It's a, it's a reflection of love that we can never comprehend, that we can't even understand, that we can just get glimmers glimmers of that love, what Jesus was willing to do for you and for me. And the ultimate reason why he suffered and died was because of sin. He was willing to take your sin and my sin. I've got plenty in my background. And he was willing to carry that into his mind and into his heart. And he was willing to shed his blood for me and for you. Hallelujah. Here's another slide I found of, of a slain lamb. And look at, you can see the blood stretching out and you can see different countries, different continents. And this slide, the point of this slide is that Jesus shed his blood for the sins of the whole world. Whoever we are, wherever we live, whatever our background, however much money we have in our bank account, whatever the color of our skin, wherever we live, Jesus was willing to do that. He was willing to do it for you and for me. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The Bible is a book of blood. It's a book that people have shed their blood in order to give us this book, in order for us to have Bibles today, it has come. These Bibles have come down to us at the cost of blood. And at the heart of the Bible is the story, the truth about sin, the sacrificing of animals, and how they all pointed forward to Jesus who shed his blood on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We cannot be forgiven. We cannot be redeemed. We cannot go to heaven. We cannot enjoy eternal life without the blood of Jesus. Praise God for what he was willing to do for you and for me. Dr. Fleck also sent me this slide. I thought this was interesting. And this is part of a, another presentation that he, he has. And he talked about the, uh, the composition of blood. And it's very interesting that, that blood has red blood cells, which carry oxygen to the rest of the body, to cells, all of our trillions and trillions of cells. When we breathe, we take in oxygen. 
and then it goes into our, through our lungs, it goes into our, our bloodstream, and it's the red blood cells that bring that oxygen to the whole body. And then there's also not only red blood cells, but there's white blood cells. And Dr. Flex uh, just made that point that the, the red cells bring life to the body, but the white blood cells protect the body from enemies, from invaders, from uh, diseases, from pathogens, from viruses. The, the white blood cells are part of the immune system that help protect the body from invaders. And isn't, that, isn't there a powerful lesson in that? That the, the blood of Jesus brings life to our, our lives. It brings life to our souls. It gives us the gift of eternal life. But the white, the white robe of his righteousness, because of the blood that he was shed, that white robe protects us from the devil. It pr protects us from having to reap someday the consequences of our sins. So all the sins that we've committed, we don't have to reap the consequences of, of, of those sins because we are protected. We're protected by the white robe of his righteousness. Red blood cells, white blood cells, there are lessons for us in blood. There's lessons for us in history. There's lessons for us in the Bible. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation 12, 11 is another one of those bloody verses. Chapter 12, verse 11. Chapter 12 talks all about the great controversy in the past and in the future and the battle that's going on right now for all of our souls. For every single one of us, we're all in a battle. We're in a war that's happening inside of our heads and into our heart, in our hearts. And Revelation 12, verse 11 talks about the people of God and it says they overcame him. They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by what else? By the word of their testimony. They overcame through blood, through the blood of Jesus. They were willing to shed their own blood and they overcame by the word. And then it says the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives it says, to the death. Just like us. Just like the Waldenses. Just like countless other Christians in different countries around the world. They did not, they, they loved Jesus and his word even more than their own lives. They did not love their lives to the death. They appreciated this book they appreciated what Jesus did for them. You know, it's just amazing to me in these, in these what I consider, what I believe to be the last days of this world's history, uh, there's never been a time in history where we have more easy access to the Bible than now. And I've got, I've got the Bible on my phone. I've got the app. I've got a, another app that can search the Bible. I can look at the Hebrew words, the Greek words. I can look at the commentaries. I can look at what other people have said. You can go online, on the internet. You can go down to 
just about, you know, uh, any, any Christian bookstore, you can go on Amazon, and we have very easy access to the Bible, don't we? More than any other time in history. The Waldensians only had a few copies of the Bible. When the Bible was first translated into English by uh, Wycliffe and then later by Tyndale, and there's a whole history behind this, um, people cherished the Bible because they, they, they had never seen Bibles. They'd never had a chance to read Bibles. But now, these days, they're, they're, they're all around the world in languages everywhere. And we've got all these different things that are, are available to us through technology. Uh, and, and it's just so easy for us to become so distracted by all the things of this life. And I'm not saying, you know, that all the things of this life are wrong. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that in the midst of all the technology and all the distractions and all the things that are available in this final time that we're living in, we need to realize the value of this book. Are you with me? The value of the Bible. You could hear sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon all your life. But if you don't get into a habit of actually picking up your own Bible and reading your own Bible, you're not going to be able to have a strong relationship with Jesus. We need to make our own effort to read the book. Read the book, the book of books, the book, the book of blood. Now this is my last slide. Hopefully you've been impressed. You know, I thought as I was taking my walk and thinking about this topic, I thought, Lord, what do you want me to say in Spirit Lake on July 11 when I give my second talk? And the thought just came to me, impress the people. Do your best to impress the people to realize the value of this book. The value of the Bible. That This book has come down to us at the cost of blood. And the heart of this book is a savior who shed his blood. And the Bible says that God's going to have a people that overcome through the blood of the lamb and through the word of their testimony. So if this talk has inspired you to spend more time in this book, then I think I've accomplished my mission. If it's inspired you to put Jesus first above everyone, I've accomplished my mission. And if in the days ahead, when things get really tough, we think this coronavirus is tough, I tell you, we've seen nothing yet. When things really get tough, may God inspire us all to have a strong relationship with Jesus by that time so we can be like us. If we're persecuted, 
or martyred, if we suffer for our faith, that we'll, we'll show the world that we're going to a wedding. We're, we're getting ready for a marriage. We can sing hymns. We can praise God no matter what happens because it won't be long on the other side of dying for Jesus that we will then be resurrected and we will sit on thrones. And the uh, situation on earth will be reversed. And those who follow Jesus and the word of God will live forever. May God help us to be in that number. Let's, uh, let's close with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, dear God, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I've, you know that we've had some technical problems to get here to this point, but you have, you have overruled. And I was able to show the pictures, the slides that hopefully can uh, add visual imagery to the truth that is in your book. And Lord, I just, I pray for myself. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I trust in you. I trust in Jesus and in the blood that he shed on the cross. And Lord, I just pray for everybody here that we will all realize the value of the precious word of God and that you will help us to realize how powerful it is and how wonderful it is and how life-changing it is. And Lord, teach us to, to have a, a real relationship with you in these last days, to join the Christians of the past so we can join them on thrones and we can join them around the great white throne and we can meet John Huss and, and so many other people. We can be with them forever around your great white throne as we all look at Jesus, our living Savior, our King forever, who gave his life on a cruel cross so long ago. Lord, bless us and get us ready for what's coming. Get us ready for the coming storm. Help us not to be afraid. Forgive us again for our sins and be with us all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting messages just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. 
If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.